Good morning, New Song family. It is so good to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, as excited I am to do it this morning, I am more excited to be able to do it with you in person. Um, but so before we get going, let's just pray really quick and just kind of get ready to go. So Lord, I just thank you for today, God. Lord, I thank you for who you are, God. Lord, I thank you that you are always present, God. Lord, I thank you that you are constantly moving. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts and our minds for what you have in store for us today, God. Lord, I just love that we don't need to be in a building together physically. As much as that helps, Lord, that you are still able to speak to us and, 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 and reach us even through a screen, God. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have no limits on you or your abilities, God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. And this morning, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about faith and friends and how those two really go hand in hand. And if I asked you this morning to list the four closest friends that you have, so your four best friends, how long would it take you to come up with that list? You know, for some, it'd be very quick. You know, for my wife, she would probably list those four in a matter of seconds. For me, um, it would take maybe a little longer than her, but I think we all have four people in our lives that we can say are the best friends that we have, that we go to first when we need help and, and just need someone to talk to or a shoulder to cry on or whatever. You know, these are your go-to people. And how many of those friends off of that list have ever made you do something that you didn't really want to do? And, you know, not in a bad peer pressure kind of way, but in a kind of you need to do this, it will be good for you kind of way. Kind of forced you, gave you that little push that you needed to actually do it. For me, one of the stories that first comes to mind is I was on a missions trip while in school. We went on a missions trip to New York City and a few years ago and one night we had the opportunity to speak and serve at a soup kitchen that was in a rougher part of town and basically we during this night we helped prep the the food beforehand and then we served it to the men and women that came for dinner that night and then after we were done serving we went out and sat with them and talked to them and and really just listened to them and part of that that outreach you you can call it was one of us uh, got up at some point later on in the evening and they wanted us to share a quick testimony or a quick message um, and just to these just to encourage these men and women and guess who got picked to share this message and guess who didn't want to share this message to a room full of men and women who just stared blankly at you while you talked and, and honestly gave off the the vibe that they could care less what a teenage boy had to say about life and all of that stuff. He said, needless to say, I was not excited to share this message or this testimony with them at all. And I remember specifically talking to our, our leader at the time. Her name was Sarah Ruggiero. And I remember telling her, I don't want to do this. There are people in this group that are way better suited for this than me. You know, I, I do not want to do this. Um, So-and-so would have such a such a better testimony than me. So-and-so speaks better than me. Have them do it. And I remember her telling me specifically that she wanted to hear me do it that evening because in her words, I had a calling on my life and what I had to say, someone in that room needed to hear. So I spoke 
And don't ask me what I spoke about because I honestly, I don't remember, but that's not the point. The point is I had leaders in my life and I had friends in my life who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and that they were willing to take that step and give me that push that I needed to do what I needed to do because they knew that I would never do it on my own. You know, we can all think of stories like this. We all have instances and, and moments in our life where friends and family members or leaders did this to us. And it doesn't have to be spiritual like the example I gave. It could, it could be as simple as a friend encouraging you to, to ride a roller coaster or go down a water slide that you're scared to do. It doesn't have to be spiritual. Or it could be a friend pushing you to interview and apply for a job that you don't think you're qualified for. You know, friends that give you that push that you need. We all have stories like that. We all have people in our lives pushing us to do something because they know we would never do it ourselves. So this morning, I wanna take a look at a group of friends and a man that probably didn't want the attention that he was about to receive. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn to Mark chapter four, or I'm sorry, not Mark chapter four, Mark chapter two. And that's kind of where we're gonna be camping out the rest of this morning. Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. And let me just read that really quick to kind of just set the background for us as we move forward. Mark chapter two starts by saying, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everybody and they praised God, saying, this they have saying we have never seen anything like this. And if you've been in church for any length of time, we've all heard this story. I distinctly remember sitting in kids church hearing learning about the story on one of the felt boards. And I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but basically you have this cloth board and the cloth background and you had other cloth animals and people and, and buildings and, and stuff like that. And you would put these animals and people on the backboard and they were both cloth and they stuck and you would act out a story or a Bible story that way. And I, so I don't know if that's the right word, but we're, we're, we'll go with felt board. But I distinctly remember hearing about this story while our, our kids teacher used this felt board to tell us this story. And I feel like this is one of those accounts that's super popular 
in kids programs and kids lessons, but I feel like it stays there, right? It, it, it never seems to make the transition to big kid church. I rarely hear a message on Sunday mornings from a pastor that talks about this, this, this encounter, these, these verses, which I think is a shame because there are so much within these few verses. And for me, I, I, I love this story as it is, but um, just Christian and I watched The Chosen, the TV show. And, and in the first season, this encounter that we read about here in Mark chapter two is, is talked about in one of the episodes. And I love how personal it makes Jesus because you can read it here in the Bible and kind of use your imagination to what it is like, but it was something entirely different. The experience was so much different being able to see it in person and just how it how it casts Jesus and all of this stuff. There is so much in this verse, this, this passage that we can take away from and apply to our own lives. And you know, this account shows up in three of the four gospels and each account that we read about in the gospels tells a little, tells the story a little bit differently. There are different aspects that different, the different authors focus on. You know, and it's important to know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all written a little differently because they were all written for specific audiences. For the Jews, for example, they loved the scriptures and they loved all the prophecies that had to do with God, but they would only listen to one of their own. So that's where Matthew comes in. Matthew, who was a Jew, he speaks to those Jews who saw themselves as deeply religious. And then we have Mark. Mark wrote to the Romans, and the Romans knew nothing about the scriptures, but they knew everything about power. Luke was a Greek speaking to the Greeks, and then John, he wrote for everybody. You know, it's John who wrote to the Gentiles. And because of this, you can read the same account, you can read the same story, and but different details are given in each. And that's, and that's even true for this passage that we read about here in Mark chapter 2. We see this in Mark, what I just read, because it starts by saying a few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum. Whereas in Luke, it starts out by saying Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Did you guys catch that? The people that packed out this house to the point that there was literally no more room for people to stand and walk around weren't just from Capernaum. They were from all over the place. Take Jerusalem, for example. Jerusalem was 85 miles away from Capernaum. And for us today, that's not a huge deal because we have cars, we can get in and drive, and 85 miles isn't that long. Hour and a half, an hour, hour and a half, somewhere in there. So that would roughly be between from here in Colorado Springs to Thornton up in Denver. And when we think about it that way, that's not that long of a drive. But you see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't have the luxury of cars, right? They lived in a time where unless you were an important political figure and you had horses or, or, or transportation like that to get you around, you walked. That was their transportation. So these Pharisees and teachers had to walk to see Jesus. And the average person at that day walked about 18 miles a day. So that means that these people walked just under five days to get to Jesus. And that's commitment. Five days of walking to, to get to Jesus. And can you just imagine, like you spend five days walking somewhere and the people are like, oh yeah, Jesus? Yeah, he left two days ago. 
Like that would be so frustrating to me. But that shows commitment on their part. And it shows us something else. It shows us that Jesus attracts people. I heard a pastor once say that wherever Jesus is, there should be a crowd. And I love that because it's so true. Wherever Jesus is, there should be a crowd. Just look at his ministry. You will not find a place that Jesus went that there wasn't already a crowd waiting for him or there wasn't a crowd that formed shortly after his arrival. In Mark 1, we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody is looking for you. And just a few verses after that, we read, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And it didn't matter where he was or what time of day it was, there was always people flocking to him. And I don't know about you, but that would drive me crazy. Because you see, I'm an, I'm an introvert. And while I can, I can talk to people, and I do just fine in crowds for the majority of the time, and, and I have no issue talking to people all day if I need to. You know, I can do all those things, but you better believe when all that is said and done, I need some me time. Right? I need to get off alone and unplug and just do something that's relaxing to me, something that recharges my batteries. You know, whether that's just reading a book by myself or going for a hike. You know, this last week on Monday, I had about two hours of my day where uh, I didn't have the kids and, and Christian was busy and it was just me. And that, that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. So I took the chance to just go hike around Palmer Park for an hour, hour and a half. And that time by myself, just in, in nature, by myself, just me and God was the most refreshing time that I have had in recent memory. You know, so I, I can do the crowds and I can talk and do all that stuff that I need to, but I need, I absolutely need that time afterwards to just unplug and recharge. But that's not how Jesus works. That's not what we see Jesus doing. Instead, his response to all of these crowds is, let us go to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You see, all Jesus did in that house in Capernaum was preach the word. And people flocked to him from all over the countryside to hear him speak the word. And sometimes I wonder if the church nowadays has lost their influence in the communities that they're a part of because they are more worried about the church's self-image and they're more worried about the programs that they are putting on instead of just simply preaching the word in a relevant way. Every church you see should be packed out on Sunday mornings. And I'm not saying that every church should be a megachurch. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe every church should be a megachurch at all. But what I am saying is that every single person that walks through the front doors of that church should be hearing something profitable to them and life-changing to them. And if they are hearing those things, if they are hearing something that is profitable and life-changing to them, they will keep coming back. And not a single person ever walked away from Jesus without hearing something profitable to them because he spoke the word to them. Not only did Jesus speak the word to them, but he spoke the word over them. And the second thing that we take away from this passage is that faith is seen. Faith 
is seen. If you read verses 3 and 4 again, it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. And then verse 5 starts by saying, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. He didn't feel it or sense it. He saw it with his own eyes. How many people see your faith on a daily basis? It should be our mission to show every single person we meet Jesus. Like I said earlier, no one should walk away. No one walked away from Jesus without hearing something profitable to them. And that has to be the same standard for us today if we want to make an impact and if we want to make a difference in the communities that we're a part of. You know, and I've never met someone who does this better than Josh Smith. And I've talked about him before. Uh, I feel like I talk about him quite often. He was the dean of students at, at Ignite while I was a student there, and he's now a pastor in Ohio. And he makes it a point to encourage you and build you up every time he sees you. And he does that with everybody. I always walk away with time with Pastor Josh feeling refreshed and encouraged again. How do people feel when they walk away from spending time with you? Because our words and our actions could be the difference between someone going to heaven or not. Faith isn't just something on the inside of you. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure in our minds and certain in our hearts. But, and I feel like that's where a lot of us stop, but that's only half of it. I truly believe that is only half of our faith. The other half of our faith is the physical actions that people need to see. You see that throughout the entire Bible. You see Noah built the ark. Abraham left his home. David fought Goliath. And Paul went on those missionary journeys. He went on those missionary missions trips, really. And those four friends carried their friend to Jesus and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down. If your faith isn't open for other people to see, you are robbing God of the chance to bless someone else. You see, the faith of those four friends did something. It opened up the door for their friend to be healed. And that's why we should all have a list of friends and a list of family members who don't know Jesus and to be praying for them every single day. And that's hard to do because you could be praying for those individuals year after year and never see a change. One of the, the best examples that I can think of of this is, is my grandma. You know, she had a list of people that she prayed for every single day people who knew Jesus and she just prayed for him and, and people and family members who, who didn't have a relationship with God. And she prayed for him every single day. And I remember asking her about it once. And she said, no, that's just what I do. I pray for them. And, you, and I'll never forget it. She said, I have done my part by doing that. It's, now it's time for God to do his part. And I love that. And, and, and my grandma has been, had passed away. It'll be six years this October. And there are still people on that list that don't have a relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other family members that pray for them every single day. And 
I get that. It can be so frustrating praying day after day, week after week, month after month for people who just don't see there's no change. It's discouraging, really. But let me tell you something. Jesus rewards faith that persists in the face of obstacles. Again, you see that throughout the entire Bible too. Jairus was not dissuaded by his neighbors who told him not to bother Jesus anymore after his daughter had died. Blind Bartimaeus was not dissuaded when people told him to be quiet, but instead he started crying out even louder for the Lord to heal him. These four friends did not stop and turn around when they saw that they couldn't get to Jesus, but instead they carried their friend to the roof and dropped him down through it. And then we get to my favorite part of this story in verse, in chap, in verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I wasn't there, but I would be willing to bet this is not what the friends thought would happen, right? You know, they've heard rumors and they've heard stories of this Jesus guy who heals people everywhere they go. And then they learn that, that this Jesus guy is coming to Capernaum, that Jesus is coming to where they are at. This is perfect, right? They are going to take their friend to Jesus, and Jesus is going to heal him. Their friend is going to be able to get up and walk again. So they bring their friend to Jesus. They bring him to the house that Jesus is at, but they can't get in. So they break through the roof and lower their friend into the very same room that Jesus is in. And this is it right? This is the climax of the story. Jesus Jesus is going to look at their friend, see that he can't walk, and he's going to heal their friend, and his friend is going to get up and walk out of there. That's what's going to happen. But instead, Jesus looks at their friend. Jesus looks at this man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? That's not how it was supposed to go. I can just see the friends looking at one another. You know, I can just see one guy like scratching his head like, dude, what the heck? I thought you said this guy was going to heal him. What's going on? You see, these friends thought that they knew what their friend needed. He was paralyzed. His legs don't work. He needed his legs to start working again so he could walk again. That's what they thought his friend needed. But Jesus knew what the man's real need was. Jesus will address our biggest and greatest needs first. And this man's greatest and biggest need wasn't for his legs to start working again, but rather for his sins to be forgiven. You see, the physical healing of his legs would have made his life on this earth a whole lot easier for the time that he was on it. But forgiveness of his sins that led to his belief gave him eternal life. And that right there is where the teachers of the law get upset. We read that their response was now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk this way? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
And I love the way that Jesus handles this because he knew in his spirit what these teachers of the law, what these Pharisees were thinking. So he asks them the question of what would be easier, the forgiveness of sins or the healing of the man. And for, for men, both real forgiveness and the power to heal are impossible, but with God, they are easy. You know, in a way, it was harder to heal the man than to forgive the sins because forgiveness is invisible. It would be very easy to say, son, your sins are forgiven, and no one would know if it's true or not because you can't physically see that. No one could verify in that, no one in that house could verify if that man's sins were forgiven. Whereas everyone would instantly know if he could walk or not. And it makes me wonder if we would see more miracles from God if we were more like the friends and less like the teachers. If we were driven by our faith and not our questions. And we may not question God in the same way that the Pharisees did here. And honestly, these teachers used the right kind of logic. When I read that, their line of thinking made sense. They correctly believed that only God had the power to forgive sins. And honestly, they were even okay for wanting to know more about this teacher that randomly popped up overnight. Their error was refusing to see Jesus for who he really was. And that was the Son of God. We may believe that God can forgive sins and we can believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, but we question him in other ways, like his willingness to move in our lives. How about this one? You haven't done anything yet, so why would you do it now? I know for me personally, I've fallen into that trap. I've fallen into that lie. You haven't done anything yet. I've been praying for years and you haven't done anything, so why would you do it now? Yeah, that's just one example. So many of us get caught up in the questions that we have that we forget that we are already dwelling in the shelter of God. And as we walk in that covering, the word says that no harm will befall us. It says that God commands his angels concerning, it, it, concerning us. It says that we will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Guys, there is power in those statements. And we have all this at our disposal, yet we allow the enemy to still sneak in and plant questions and to plant doubts in our minds about the things that the Lord has already taken care of. And that's why it's so vital for us to be in our word. And that's why it's so vital for us to be reading those truths day in and day out. The Bible isn't a name it and claim it kind of thing. The Bible is read it and believe it kind of thing. The Bible is a read it and believe it kind of thing. That means that if you read it here, if you read it in this book, you can believe that it's going to take place. And I'm going to close with the ending of this passage. Because of these four friends and the faith that these four friends had, this man that couldn't walk was healed in all aspects, in every aspect, both physically and spiritually. But that's not all that happened as a result of their faith. We read in verse 12, it says, He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everybody. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And in my mind, this, this, this entire encounter is a make-it-or-break-it moment for Jesus. He was just questioned and he was just accused of blaspheming. He, and, and right after he was just accused of this, he commanded this man to get up and walk. 
Can you imagine if Jesus had failed? His ministry would be shattered. Everyone would slowly leave the house. These Pharisees that just questioned him would smile and say, I told you, you can't forgive sins or heal people. You're a fake, you're a phony. The four men would struggle to pull their friend back up through the roof and the paralyzed man would be more embarrassed than ever before. But Jesus could not fail because he was the son of God. And there is wonderful power from those who come to him in faith. And that's what these five individuals did. They simply came to Jesus with faith. And we read in the text that everybody was amazed and that everybody praised God. Jesus saw the faith of the four friends, but everyone saw the faithfulness of Jesus. This reminds me, while, I, while Christian and I were serving in Virginia as youth pastors, the men's group, the men's ministry would have a breakfast every, uh, once a week, once, once a Saturday every month. So one Saturday every month, they would have a men's breakfast and there would be a speaker that spoke while we all ate. And I remember one time, uh, Joe Corman, he's the, the men's ministry leader in Virginia. He spoke this particular Saturday and he said something that I feel perfectly sums up what I've been talking about. And he said, if God does something big in your life, you should be shouting it from the mountaintops so that other people can see it and know what they can experience with God. And I believe the world right now, more than ever, needs to see and they need to experience God. And I truly believe that the world would benefit if Christians did a better job about shouting out from the mountaintops what God is doing in their lives. Because you see at the center of our being, our true life source is our spirit and it's empowered by the spirit of God and our soul, our soul, our minds and our emotions are all influenced by the spirit. And as we get in sync, as we get in tune with the spirit, then that will affect our bodies as well. You know, I think of a fireplace that you place in the center of the room. What happens when that fire gets going? The heat starts there, but the heat radiates out. Third John 2 says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. There is a connection between our bodies and our spirit, and it all starts in your spirit and it radiates out. God can heal you no matter what. Don't get me wrong. He can heal you no matter what. But there is something about being in line and in sync with the Spirit that opens up the door for so much more. And it, you fall in line. You fall in sync with the Spirit by being in your Word and praying and all of that stuff. Absolutely. But we cannot underestimate the power that comes from praising the movement of the Holy Spirit, not only in your own life, but in the lives of the people around you as well. If we recognize the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives, you know, when people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, or, or when people are baptized and all that stuff and really praised Him, 
and got excited, and not just posting on Facebook, not posting a video or picture congratulating them, but really stood next to them side by side and praised them and got excited about what God is doing in that individual's life and shouted from the mountaintop, shouted from the mountaintop with them, we would see a lot more physical healing, I believe. Because that brings us into a heightened sense of awareness of the spirit moving. It keeps us, it helps keep the Lord's faithfulness at the forefront of our minds. I believe that belief precedes healing. Belief precedes healing. And if we stop trying to manufacture our own solutions and recognize, like everybody in the house did here in Mark chapter 2, that, and if we recognize that God does things that we have never seen before, we will start to see more healing. And healing is exactly what this world needs right now. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Come alongside your brothers and sisters. Praise God with them. Rejoice in what God is doing in their life. Rejoice in the Spirit moving and affecting and changing their lives. And I truly believe we will see healing poured out not only upon our own lives and our friends' lives and this nation's lives, but across the entire world. So Lord, I just thank you for your healing presence, God. Lord, I thank you that you see our deepest and our biggest needs first, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are not only concerned to heal us physically, but you wanna heal us spiritually as well, God. Lord, you wanna position us in a way that we can get the most out of you, God. So Lord, I thank you and I praise you, God. In your name, amen.